Welcome to Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I am your host, Ben Kay. We are here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. We are a podcast that loves questions, and today's question is, and I might I'll, I'll be honest, I might need yours help on this one, uh, the panel. Um, I've, I feel like I've said this before on the podcast. I am Jewish. Um, proud of that fact. Could, could I, I, maybe one of you two can help me. Uh, and I'm talking about the original film here. Like, is this sure. movie just like what being Catholic feels like? Is this just <laughs> like the sure, cinematic yes. equivalent of just like <laughs> religious Catholic guilt? Does that sound about right? Well, you know, I grew up Protestant and I grew up Episcopalian uh, for a okay. lot of that, which is kind of what I feel people refer to as like progressive or like liberal Catholics. Essentially, it's Catholic Catholics light and Catholic light. Exactly. Um, sure. L-I-T-E. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I grew up with a lot of shame. And so this uh, it was very relatable in a lot of ways. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's specifically body stuff. Yeah, I don't Gosh, I was kind of not ready to unpack all this right now on the spot at the very beginning, but we can talk about me crying myself to sleep some nights if you'd like to. Should we start there? We we'll get Brandon. there. We're gonna. Ju- well, okay, we'll, I think we'll we might. <laughs> we'll build we'll be, up work to our way that. Up to it. Okay. Yeah. What are we talking about? Of course. Well, I'm actually very <laughs> excited. I'm very excited for this episode. These are two really fascinating things we're talking about today for very different reasons. Uh, we're talking about 1957s. Knights of Kiberia, directed by Federico Fellini, and the subsequent musical theater adaptation, Sweet Charity, from the year 1966, with a book by Neil Simon, music by Cy Coleman, lyrics by Dorothy Fields, and it must be said, this whole project initially conceived by one Bob Fosse. As always, our wonderful producer and editor, Bran Moorhead, is here. Hi, Bran. Hello, I'm a brass band. <laughs> you are a brass band. <laughs> Thank you. You're a actually today. I feel a little more like paper on a comb. Oh, I, I gotta <laughs> say this off the bat. Lo- I love Dorothy Fields' lyrics. They're very good. yeah, She's they're a, so good. The, the song. The, we'll get into the song. This is let's let's introduce our guest, who is a returning guest, <laughs> who's already spoken on mic because they they know how this thing works. Um, you know them from the apartment slash promises promises episode. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers in all of Chicago slash the world. Uh, the wonderful I, I know the wonderful Connor, Connor Allen Smith back on the pod. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, I, I, I'm really happy to be back. I again, uh, as I uh, did in my preamble last time and such a neophyte when it comes to musicals. And so it's been a pleasure not only being on it uh, for the, the apartment episode, but also getting to listen along um, and just like kind of learn about the whole kind of art form. And uh, like uh, these things I kind of had like inside of me and I'll kind of get into this later. Um, Cause some of these numbers actually I knew from growing up, um, even though I didn't grow up with musicals in my home, but I knew some of these songs. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun to listen along to the first season and into the second season of the podcast and be learning about this and listening to such wonderful people like you and Bran and, and the Chicago community who's, yeah, just educating. It's, it's really lovely. You're a, so happy you're, a to be da- you're a damn sweetheart, Connor. Thank you. Um, this is so funny because I, you know, I, I threw out the list to you this past time and mm-hmm. I think you specifically were like, I... Because Promises, Promises, there is no film version of that show. There is no real 
professionally shot um, version of the musical out there, just from a stage perspective. And you were just like, I would love a musical that I could watch. Like, it's great to like get the script. It's great to like listen along to the to the recording. But I'd love to sort of have a, a musical that I could have a visual frame of reference for. Because I feel like that's just how you. I'm guessing that's how you sort of just like are able to process a lot of art is like visually. Absolutely, definitely a visual learner. You know, I my background originally originally is in music, so like I can like, and I mean I can read uh, like it's really cool. I can read music, um, and so like I can also honestly like read um, notes and kind of like play things in my head. But when it comes to like putting music with a script, it's hard for me to do that much uh, long division in my head. But so it's like so when I'm reading a script, I can do it. Or when I'm reading music, but putting these things together just seems like blasphemy. Um, so I have to. I'm still like learning that process. So having the visual aid of the Bob Fosse film, which I watched uh, last night and today was, was amazing. Um, so yeah. Really, and I, yeah. So yes. And I will say on the, on the record. So yeah. So you were like, I'd love something that there is already a film version of. And so we're like, let's do sweet charity. It's based on a Fellini movie. This seems right up your alley, I would say. <laughs> and you literally called me last night and were like, Hey, could I come pick up your sweet charity Blu-ray? And I was like, well, I won't be home till 10. And you're like, sounds great. So yes. you literally <laughs> well, drove it- over. <laughs> at 10 30 last night uh and, and, and i will say true. usually and i will usually usually I, and I said this to you in your car yesterday i was like you know i usually don't like to do this but because this whole musical was the brainchild of bob fossey anyway i actually think like watching the movie isn't the worst frame of reference for getting what this show is about and what this adaptation is about and there are like a few differences there are a few song omissions from mm-hmm. in the film version of sweet charity but it is i would say like at its essence uh minus the gwen verdon of it all like it is a pretty like fair estimation of what that show is yeah no yeah and i I was able to also like listen through uh, the original cast uh uh, album as well as like read through the scripts today so i um over the last couple days and so it, it was just kind of nice having that like little bit of uh Elmer's glue to kind of bind everything together. And in my but, defense, for why I texted you last night, you were <laughs> you were bragging all about your luxurious uh, <laughs> of physical media of Sweet Chariot on Instagram yesterday, and I was and also in my defense intoxicated and realized I needed to watch this <laughs> as soon as possible. So I drunkenly called you and said, "Can I sober up and get this?" And it worked out with our schedules. It truly did. It, I it was listen. the fickle finger of fate. It, it truly was the fickle finger of fate. Um, thank you, Kino Lorber, for your wonderful <laughs> Blu-ray of Sweet Charity. You should sponsor us. Um, but that's <laughs> not... Well, and I well, No more Sweet Charity talk for right now. Let's go back to the 50s. Let's go across the pond, all the way to beautiful Italia, and let's talk about Federico Fellini. Now, mm. I, I gotta say, you brought up the word before already, Connor. And I'll mirror it. I am a complete Fellini neophyte. I truly am. Uh, I for for my birthday this year, I I bought for myself the essential Fellini box set from Criterion. It is a beautiful fucking thing. Um, because I knew we were going to cover this. I know at some point we're going to cover Eight and a Half, uh, which was adap- also adapted into a musical. Um, so I knew I was just like, it's I need, need it for research. I'm just going to need it because it looks fucking great. Um, yeah. 
But like, obviously, he's he is a filmmaker so prolific that contemporary auteurs like Vin Diesel can just throw around the term Fellini-esque in a sentence like it's nothing. Like, he is such a part of, like, cinematic filmmaking nomenclature. So, to, I don't know. To, uh, Bren, where, how are you on Fellini? What's your Fellini knowledge? Zero. Hell, zero. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I love it. No, I love Skipped it. Skipped that assignment somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It's it, Listen, never too late in life, I say. Um, sure. So, Dakota, I feel like you are our resident film experts, and maybe you don't <laughs> think I should give you that title, but I'm going to. Um, talk to us about Federico Fellini as, as much as you can. Sure. Well, and I'm going to start out by rebuking any and all authority and responsibility when it comes to pretty much anything <laughs> for my lack of intelligence. Um, so that qualifier out there. Yeah. I mean, when, when we talk about like, um, I mean, film history, I feel like Fellini is just such, like you talk about such a, such an icon in and of himself. And so like one of the first things I watched on the Criterion um, was eight and a half. Like when I was getting into like the whole idea of Criterion channel, like starting to watch movies more critically in early college. Um, when I kind of really fell in love with cinema. Uh, and I only had watched eight and a half at that point. Um, but the other thing that really struck with me from that same movement that was happening in film was the, what, what people call the, uh, the Italian neorealism. And so mm-hmm. Fellini's kind of part of that movement, but the, the one film I mainly think of with that, which was, which was an, er- an early movie for me was uh, bicycle thieves, um, sure. which I really, which has a special place in my heart. And like all of those filmmakers were just making really interesting stuff, primarily of like working class folks, uh, or lower class folks and kind of being more, more day to day, almost like with the, in a response to Hollywood cinema, kind of like with the French new wave, these were, things were kind of starting to percolate around the same time in the same areas. People were resisting these, these expectations and these big presentations, which I think is a really interesting counter that we do get in not only the musical adaptation, but also the filmmaking of Sweet Chariot. There's some really interesting things. that Sweet Chariot, Sweet yeah. Charity, Connor. So Sweet Charity, sorry. <laughs> There's no chariots in this one. No, no, not yet. Um, but yeah, sweet charity. Um, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And that trend, and when you're transposing it, there's still some of that artifice that I feel like that creeps back in. That I think is really interesting. But like when it comes to Fellini specifically, I mean, uh, I, I wanted to go back and do some more research over the last couple of days because most of my experience is uh, a little bit further north when it comes to European cinema. Or the, the big thing sure. I've really been saturating myself in over the last like half of the pandemic has been like uh, Eastern cinema. So. The big thing I keep coming back to is Taiwanese new wave uh, films for the last several months. Hell yeah. So, and that's uh, honestly, I think a, a direct like spiritual uh, child of like this Italian neorealism focusing on kind of the everyday of uh, lower class folks and looking at them more holistically opposed to as uh, tropes or caricatures, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now I'm rambling. And as far as Fellini goes, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a specific blend of, uh, you know, quirkiness that comes with them so it's like very grounded in reality but you know there's circuses there's very like striking uh costumes and uh stripes that you can see tim burton takes and runs with to the sure. degree yeah um yeah so i, I know tim burton has specifically talked about Fellini as being a um as an, uh, an influence to him and it's literally just Fellini up to 100 120 <laughs> percent Sure. Um, so we get to see a Tim Burton. So yeah, so it's very grounded and kind of human emotion, but very kind of also fairy tale when it comes to Fellini. Uh, it's it's a really an interesting 
uh, for lack of terms, point of view, the way he's able to ground his stories, um, but provide such humanistic emotion through them. Yeah, it was, and it was, and y'all, I'll say, because that's the thing I was really thinking about, especially when we get to Sweet Charity, is sort of like, I think you're right on the money, sort of, yeah, obviously talking about sort of film history and sort of European cinema and probably much, much of world cinema and then eventually independence American cinema sort of like pushing against like the Hollywood sort of tradition of narrative as the leading force in a movie. Um, What I kind of adore about Knights of Kiberia and sort of like... I've also been, like, watching a lot of Agnes Varda recently, so, like, I'd, like, sort of in that sort of similar, like, French New Wave zone, like, looking at movies that are sort of, like, more character-based and theme-based than narrative-based, and that's kind of what I love, is that you follow this character of of, uh, of Kiberia, um, and it is, I mean, one could call this film episodic, right? It is, like, it is not, yeah. like, about, like, this, like, She's not going on some, like, epic quest to do anything. It is just, like, it is in the life of this sex worker named Kabiria and just her life and these different sort of misadventures she goes on and how she tackles them and how she traverses them and how sort of they're all and there obviously there's a thematic link of just like her own sort of like again her own catholic guilt her own yearning for a better life her own sort of working class situation her own economic situation um but yeah there is no sort of grand like save the cat like plotting that is happening here and that's again like i think that is fine i think that is great i think it makes for a fantastically charming movie absolutely it's a hangout film like you like literally just yeah hang out. yeah you hang out with her mm-hmm. and like you get to know her not because of any specific deeds like saving a cat you get to hang out with her and just being in in her presence makes you makes Kabir. how are you saying it my i don't my my italian ain't, ain't very good um Kabiria, right Kabiria, yeah. yeah yeah we'll go with Kabiria. um i'll do my my damn just to keep that consistent <laughs> uh but yeah yeah you just hang out with Kabiria, and she's just really lovely um and and and, and spunky and and not like a like a trademark version of that word but like in a truly like like just a an exciting way um and i think it's interesting that like even like a one-to-one comparison right now there is a groundedness to uh Kiberia compared to charity that i think is really interesting sure. like even though she does have that guilt throughout um and i think some of its performance but also some of its direction and story too uh but Kiberia has this kind of like um even though she's striving and she's dealing with this guilt she's also kind of at peace in some ways like she, it doesn't seem like she is um uh, 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 what's the word well there's is like she, a, there's a yearning in charity the, yeah exactly there's an and it's, it's a very emotional and expressive yearning that comes with charity um where she yeah where she's made a little more unmoored where uh Kiberia is like kind of more resolved and it specifically comes in, i feel like into uh when she's like when she goes home with the italian actor and she's yeah. giving she gives her a little monologue about like uh sleeping under the arch once or twice she's she's pretty proud of like her so she's very proud of her life and, like what she does like there's no remorse or anything like that um sure she's striving for other things but um there's also like a uh a content nature to her which i think is really endearing absolutely um and I, I think I saw uh, Connor on Letterboxd that you ha- also watched uh, his one of his preceding films, La Strada. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I watched La Strada uh, uh, the same day as um, watching Nights of Kiberia, um, which uh, the same actor, his, his actually, they, they were spouses. Um, if you don't know that, yeah, Fleeney and that oh. actor. What, what's, what's her name? Uh, Gi- um, Gioletta Messina? 
Yes, exactly. I, so, and and let's 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 put a let's just want to say for the record, fucking outstanding in this movie. Oh, like ab- yes, absolutely. What a remarkable performance she gets. One of the betters in all of cinema. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She won. I mean, she won the Best Actress award at Cannes that year. Well deserved. Um, we're recording this on the first day of the Cannes Film Festival. Go us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it go is. us for not being there. Go <laughs> us for not having any credentials or any reason for being there whatsoever. Bran, I know you saw uh, that Annette's premiered today. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, the, the little news bite was really something. Yeah. Uh, Marion uh, Cotillard. We'll, we'll be covering that on a future Patreon episode. Yeah, I don't know, Connor, if you saw this. Um, so, no, I haven't seen um, the, the news today. We, we might as well talk about it now. Please. Uh, so, <laughs> Let's timestamp this, baby. Yeah, so uh, there is... Uh, first off, uh, Annette has opened to... Uh, divisive reviews, which makes me only want to see it even yeah, more. Seriously, yeah, yeah. I'm no just... way. That movie looks is divisive. <laughs> yeah. And divisive reviews are the best reviews. Yeah. Yes, um, in a press junk, like in a press junket or like some like press packet, uh, there's a quote from uh, everyone's favorite Marion Cotillard, where <laughs> she says that Adam Driver is making movie history by performing an original musical number while performing cunnilingus <laughs> which is just that i mean sounds what, like history what a remarkable sentence like i like <laughs> we're living at the same time as such a sentence was uttered into the world um yes. yeah brilliant Lucky us. yes yeah no this is really we've been striving for this for millennia and humanity's done it Finally made it. We've, the final we've hit, form. We've hit, can't pe- wait for this movie, though. It's, it's gonna, only it's getting fun, me more excited for it. Hell, yeah. We've been hyping it up so fucking much over on the Patreon. It is. It's. I don't know. It, I. It, we're gonna. We're gonna have a lot to talk about, if nothing else. Um. But either way. So yeah. I, so I did not realize that uh, Giulietta Messina was married to Fellini. That's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the early '50s. So it was before they even uh, started. I think she started acting uh, like there was La Strada wasn't her first film with him. Um, well, no, because she but, was she played this character in one of his first films, The White Sheik. Like this, it's yes, like a, exactly. It's it's kind of like how uh, Han was an original was a character in another film before he was in the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Like uh, it's he was exactly in, like he was that. he was in another. Brian, don't give me that. I know look. it's real. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> he was in another. It was in a previous Justin Lin film, and then he was just like, I'm just gonna put this character in the Fast and Furious franchise. So Fellini did the same thing. He's a trendsetter. Looking at Lin's uh, notes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Looking at Lynn's notes in yes. the future. Um, but yeah, so Kaviria was his own this- temporal time pincer. <laughs> yes. Get that in there this time. Bringing too. it back. I know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for forcing brands to do that if they want to. Uh, <laughs> We'll see. Um, but yeah, actually, I'll say so. Uh, a little uh, other sort of research on sort of the making of this movie. It was, of course, produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis. Um, famed, produced uh, another movie that we it's in this season Evil Dead 2 and uh, Army of Darkness. Yes. Groovy. Uh, like 25 years, 30 years later. God, well, I listened to, there's this great audio interview with him on the on the Blu-ray for this movie, the Criterion Blu-ray, and he's mm. talking about, so we know there's the scene where Kabiria runs into the man giving out bread to the, the poor people. The, he's the driving caves. around. Yes, he's mm-hmm. to the poor folk living in the caves. He's like giving out bread. And 
they they had that sequence and De, and De Laurentiis was like you can't put the sequence it's seven minutes and the movie isn't about her anymore it's about Kabiria following along this character makes no sense you gotta take it out of the movie and Fellini was like I don't know like and so they were like alright we'll set up two screenings one with the sequence and one without the sequence um both screenings got the exact same reaction there was no <laughs> discernible difference in any sort of audience. This was no little shop situation. Uh, there was just like complete same reaction. Uh, so they were like, Fellini, I think, was just like, you know, listen, you're producing my movie. And like, no one really, I don't, like, people didn't want to produce it because it was about a prostitute. Like, yeah. The, yeah. it's about a sex worker. Like, no one wanted to make this movie, which it will be interesting when we talk about Sweet Charity. Um, that change. Um, Absolutely. But, so I think just to appease De Laurentiis, he's like, fine, we'll take the sequence out. Um, so they released the movie, and it, I mean, it's still a great movie. It, it got it got acclaim when it was released. It uh, won the Oscar for Best International Film that year. Um, and I think at some point, uh, Fellini was just like, hey... I'm like, I, I want to show this film to like students. Could we put this sequence back in the movie when I like show it at colleges and stuff? And Delorentis was like, sure. And I think then like for a later reissue of the film, they were just like, let's just keep the sequence in. And it's fine. It's a nice sequence of like Kabiria taking interest in this person who is like looking down on those like quote unquote below him. And I don't know. It's, it's another sort of just piece of texture in this thing. Yeah, it's like another like facet of man she sees. You know yeah. what I mean? Of like of Absolutely. men. And, yeah, like, this literally is one of the men, only yes. Yeah, and it's like one of the only people that's like just sort of doing a kindness with nothing expected back, like just being a generous soul, you know? I feel like it's the only time she sees that in men around her in the whole movie. Yeah, no, I yeah. think it's a lovely counter to also the I'm forgetting the Italian actor's name, but like her little Alberto. Alberto, yeah. Um little <laughs> escapade. I think it's like it's a wonderful kind of flips of the coin, like the height of society and the depth of, of society when it comes to uh, yeah. the economy. And so yeah, I think it kind of is as necessary. And I didn't know that little the little uh I uh the director's cut edition or that, that that scene was omitted. I just watched it and took it in and thought, like, this is perfect. It's like it it felt so seamless and like um but yeah, I guess I guess I could see from a producer's point of view trying to put more asses in seats quicker. Um, sure, <laughs> but, but but I mean, honestly, artistically, it's gorgeous, and again, I think it's thematically perfectly right. And it's always it is always interesting, right, to think about. Like, yeah, like I said, it's like there's no sort of like narrative propulsion. It's like almost like just things happening. But yeah, then yeah, you look at stuff, and it's just like yeah, this all makes sense together, even if it isn't like a direct like A to B to C of sequencing. Mm -hmm. It's like this still just all fits. This all flows in some certain way. It just it's 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 kind of wonderful um another thing about uh the so this was also the film took its inspiration apparently from news reports of a woman's severed head retrieved in a lake um which i guess maybe fellini was like who was that well yeah obviously that you it sort of extrapolates into uh Kiberia, uh falling into the lake and how it sort of becomes this recurring thing of um, her fate of potentially her fear and fate of potentially drowning, um, and then yeah. store and then there was apparently uh, a shanty town uh, sex worker that Fellini met 
uh, on the set of another film called Il Bidone. Uh, her name was Wanda, who had uh, become a character in this film, sort of the the go-to sort of, like, friend of uh, Kibiria. We and, love Wanda. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we do love Wanda. We we love a, we love a fun sidekick character in these films. They're, they're usually, like, they can often be, like, the the sort of the beacon for a lot of these movies. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so sort of, she just shared stories about her life and about her livelihood uh, with Fellini, and he's like, great, let's... Uh, Let's do this. Let's make a movie. Um, and they made it. And yeah, it is just this. It's it starts off with uh, Kiberia with this lovely man named Georgia who she figures she's in love and she's going to run off with. And uh, he takes her dowry and pushes her into a lake. Uh, she's talking heads. Um, are he talking heads or drops her in the river? <laughs> True. Yeah, he, he takes that her to the you. river. Thank you. You know, I drops love her me. in the water. <laughs> This, I mean, it is not, it isn't her beautiful house, and it isn't his beautiful wife. It is, that is, that is fair. Um, but yeah, it is, and it is, I will say, an early fun parallel between this and Sweet Charity is like, this is in Italy, he, uh, she falls into the river, and everyone does what they can, and it's like, oh my god, she's drowning, she's drowning, and they all jump in, and they all go to help her, and then you go to Sweet Charity, and Charity falls in the river, and they're like, Oh yeah, we probably we shouldn't do anything about that. Let's just well, let's I, leave I have, well enough alone. <laughs> I have an exact quote because this struck this struck me. The exact <laughs> yes. quote from one of the bystanders was, "Don't look, I tell you, don't get involved. It's not it's none of your business." <laughs> Which like <laughs> this is America. <laughs> I mean, I'll say like pretty like if you're gonna Americanize this story pretty good job at how yeah. fucking garbage and individualistic this country is <laughs> um but they save her and uh yeah so she's just like this uh she's a sex worker she's uh all her money's been taken and so she's back to square one she's like all right well this is my life this is what i do and uh, she just sort of just, like, hangs out with, with her friends. And, again, it's just, like, her going from, like, events to events. Yeah, she runs into this uh, movie star, Alberto, um, and they go to the club, and it's very fun. Um, kind of looks like Will Ferrell. He does <laughs> kind of look Alexis like Will Ferrell. As well. <laughs> he, like, he looks like Will Ferrell in a sketch, you know, yes. in some goofy <laughs> makeup on a sketch. <laughs> No, nah, he's he's a he's a pillar in, in like all the best ways. Yeah, yeah. Both Will Ferrell and and Alberto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they play. I I did notes at the club. They play Mumbo Number Twenty Six. Uh, a, a, a far cry from Mama Number Five. Um, this is—I feel like—and this is also like one of the only sort of I feel direct sequences that's pulled into Sweet Charity is uh, Alberto taking her home, and she's like oh, so excited to like be like she's almost just like it's so it's so funny because obviously like she 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 is a sex worker she like that is her job but like. She's almost, like, so enamored by, like, because she is just, like, yearning for love. And she's just, like, this is what I'm doing, but I'm yearning for something else. I'm yearning for something more. Um, so, she's like, she's going home with this guy, but she's like, I just think you're great. I just think you're cool. Like, can yeah. I, can I get an... kind of just fangirling. Yeah. It's yeah. like, can I get an autograph? Like, I don't care about what you're Nobody's paying gonna me Nobody's going to believe do. me. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then uh, Alberto's girlfriend returns, so she... 
Thrown in Jesse, the Jesse wearing a great coat. The great costumes. Giant white fur coat. Great, oh, yeah. great costumes, costumes in this especially thing. Especially in the sequence. And that translates great to the, the Americanized version too with Ursula's wardrobe. Uh, yes. And the film was amazing. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's a... What, doesn't, doesn't she have like a... A tiny puppy or like oh there's a tiny puppy that's in the bathroom, uh, yeah. Yes, that Kabiria just finds. Yes. And it's very uh, cute. And they just like hang out together. Yeah, again, like it's it's again, this is like one of those films where it's like I don't like I don't really want to like give a synopsis because again, it's just like it's just like following her around from like moments to moments. Um Oh, I guess we should also think to communicate how she got into the closet is because uh, Alberto sh- uh, shoot her in as uh, as, his, as his lover came in. So yes. she, in anticipation of like hooking up or hanging out with Alberto, is pushed into the closet to hang out with this puppy. <laughs> yes, classic. It's a classic farce in that in that exactly. way. Which I mean, again, like it's it is this great thing where it is it is this very it is a tra- I would say this is almost like a tragic film, but like there are still these like wonderful like comic set pieces. Uh, I think just because life is sort of just hilarious in how sad it is, right? Like, on the surface, this is a very sad situation of, like, Kiberia, like, kind of, like, again, like, fangirling over this guy, and before anything can really happen, the girlfriend's back, and now she's stuck in the closet, and there's nothing she can do. That sucks. It's funny, but it sucks. Yeah. No, I think it's absolutely tragic. I think it it gets played from where it lasts and gets dulled into maybe just a drama, and uh, when it was... um turn into the musical uh well, but as oh, far as like the that, yeah yeah but that's as far as like, buddy neil simon who exactly. will get into <laughs> <laughs> a recurring character in, in, uh, in my appearances as well um, it's very true yeah but, but as far as like the film itself i would i oh, i co-sign it's 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 absolutely a tragedy and there's definitely all the last in there um that reminds me of like um lonergan kenneth lonergan went on wtf to talk about with mark Marin. And Mark Maron was talking about how sad his movies are and like how they don't have any last in them. Like Kenneth Lonergan kind of gets pissed off and he says, I think they're pretty funny. Points. <laughs> it's because like with tragedy, you have to have jokes in there. And it's like if people are receptive to laugh at them, hopefully they can oscillate as an audience. But as a playwright or a filmmaker, you can't be in charge of that necessarily. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, even, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I would I would agree. I think Manchester by the Sea, like for all of its fucking like nightmarish tragedy, like it is a very funny movie. Like, Absolutely. no 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 lie about that and like i don't know just like even like uh bong jun ho like he's someone who like makes these like huge Mm -hmm. like genre movies these like big sort of like thrillers and sci-fi movies and and mystery films like maybe the saddest movie of all time (laughs) yeah there are are great laugh lines from Kaufman in that oh yeah um it's we we laugh so we don't cry uh is is sort of i think i think maybe like the most sort of like awe inspiring sequence in nice cabiria is the 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 church sequence it's sort of like mm. her like in this sort of like yeah this epic sort of like journey to the church this like epic like just sort of this pilgrimage this, yeah a literal pilgrimage to to go worship and it's just just taking in just like all of these people just from all walks of life and then just like her her going to the church and just like just begging for god's grace just begging to just like i want something else and like i mean like that's right it's the whole it's the whole fucking phrase like you'll never find an atheist in a foxhole right it's like it's mm-hmm. like you're just like you're it's a lot i feel like a, i'm i'm a culturally jewish but i wouldn't say i'm a religious person but i know yeah like a lot of religious folks are like when you're a lot of people just when you're pushed to that edge you're sort of just like i need something so like i don't 
like I don't know, like how you never really see any other sort of sense of Kabiria as a religious character, but like in the sequence, it's just like you know she's just like this is this is how desperate she is, right? This is sort of just like where she is as a as a person. It's like th- like this is the only way that I think I can get something done is I have to literally pray to God for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess this is where we get into me crying. But uh, yeah, yeah, take us away. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I grew up very conservative uh, in Arkansas. I think I alluded to this a little bit last time, but I went to church uh, on a on a low week three times a week, uh, on a, a high end four to five times a week, depending on stuff. So um, I definitely grew up uh, praying to things in the sky or to, or to aliens or people in the sky. And so I, and, and as I've like gotten older and kind of my my spirituality and like religion is and perception of religion has changed it's still very hard uh when i get really desperate or emotional or really just really wrung out for me not to like kind of fall back on this language that i know or these 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 rituals that i know um for hope uh because they're coping mechanisms for my first 20 so years of life um yeah. and they were just like literally hammered into me by repetition it's oh. a weird thing it's a weird yeah. it's a it's a strange thing and it's i it's so funny because yeah I, i'm I truly don't prescribe to sort of religion in that sense, but I'm always enraptured by like depictions of faith in, in art and especially in, in, so like the stuff like this, like really gets me just like seeing, seeing characters and sort of like how they're channeling this like essence of themselves and sort of how they are. And it just also just like how it's portrayed just from an aesthetic perspective is it always yeah, gets it's to me. It's a non-visual thing. Like there's no way to depict like, what is not uh what is not worldly <laughs> yeah uh, and, and, sure. and so yeah so i think i think this film does a great job of it but i, I similarly like people talk about terrence malick as like a spiritual filmmaker sure <laughs> totally the lingering shots the way he captures sun i feel like the only way to really capture spirituality in cinema is to capture life beautifully yeah. um kind of uh nice cabiria does a great job with that expression that sequence you see the whole range of life uh again different different folks coming into the spot and um there's uh, nothing more heartbreaking slash beautiful than um, desperation. Um, so I'm gonna get that. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. sew that onto a pillow. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> is, that, is that some merch for the podcast? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Selling, we're on T Public selling shirts. Uh, <laughs> uh, like the only way you can depict faith is depicting life. There you go. Uh, there we go. But yeah, then uh, speaking of religion, the next sequence is a magic show. Uh, so then, yeah, this is <laughs> she. <laughs> but uh, sh- uh, real z- zingers on the pod. Um, so yeah, she goes to this magic show. There's this magician. I love that. I love the line when she's like, "Is it any good?" And the teller's like, "What? You want me to tell you it stinks?" Uh, yeah, is, I like that line. Which too. I, I in. As someone who's worked in customer service a lot, I wish I could. I'm like that would have been a great, that would have been a great line to throw at folks. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Oh, is the Blue Man Group good? What you wanted to tell you? It sucks. <laughs> uh, the Blue Man Group is good. Whatever. Those guys are doing good. Uh, but yeah, she goes to this magic show. Work. They really are. Um, she and it's a pretty good magician. He's and he's also a hypnotist, which is also I don't know. I feel like that's crossing some streams there, but whatever. And there's maybe some some research or some text to this, but I, I think it's something you uh, you pick up from from La Strada is that magician is actually a circus worker uh, in um, La Strada, and so oh, wow. 
yeah, there's some kind of fun, like he, the way he reutilizes not only his, his spouse, but also other actors um, in the way they'd appear. But I think there's just like a fun kind of metatextual thing of like him being the head of a circus um, and circus performers and then like, being a magician uh, in the next film. That was fun to like kind of Easter egg him and be like, oh, it's it's whole- <laughs> selling a different kind of snake oil. It's great. There's a whole dang Fellini verse. It's wild. Exactly. Uh, but she she gets hypnotized. She she gets pulled up on stage. She's hypnotized. She sort of flashes back. And it's again, it's like this. She's been going through like pulled in so many directions. And then it's not until she's like under hypnosis that there's this like she's in this peaceful moment. Right. She's like throwing out flowers or something. Um, I forget what the, what she's specifically doing. She's like, doing. Flowers. Oh, it's she's like we're calling, flowers. Yeah, she's yeah. we're calling a memory, and then they put a crown of flowers on her. It's it's very yeah. It's it gets oddly heavy really fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like finding finding peace, and then she yeah. said that she's taken out of it, and everyone's laughing at her, and she's like, "Why are you laughing at me? What did you do to me?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very sad. Um, but then there's this guy in the audience named Oscar. Who's just like you know you were you were great up there let's let's hang out um and they just like they just just immediately they just like fall into each other like so quick um they're getting married like by the oh, next I, scene yeah well I think there is also some interesting like um uh, uh some character stuff with Kabiria kind of being resistant at first I mean she like she waits at sure the, yeah at the show to, because people are hassling her after the show and waits for everybody to leave. And Oscar is there kind of like lingering and waiting and kind of has to pester her to like go sit down and have a drink with him. And so I think there's something interesting, like she wants to get the fuck out of there. And after being kind of exposed so vulnerably, she doesn't want anything to do with that experience or being, yeah. being embarrassed again. Um, so he kind of has to pursue her in a certain way where um, this is very unlike her relationship with um, Alberto earlier, where she was giddy and wanted to like hang out um, with Oscar. She's initially very, Right, I said before she falls head over heels. Uh, yeah. but, but, but you're you're absolutely accurate in the fact that she, as soon as they do start, uh, we get these little episodes of them dating. They do they do fall in love rather quickly. Yeah, um, which and then it's only even sadder when yeah she pretty much she liquidizes all of her assets. She's just like she's like I'm gonna get I'm selling my house. I'm getting rid of everything. I'm just I'm gonna give another dowry, and this one's gonna work out this time. I promise. Um, and there's that very sad scene where she like she gets on like the the car that's like driving away and like wanders on the streets like watching behind her and it's i mean you can interpret that look from wanda in so many ways uh where it's like oh i'm sad to see her go or oh this is just gonna be like last time yeah Yeah, like this is gonna be this like self-perpetuating cycle for kabiria and and so it is um oscar they they go out to a lake again or a river again some body of water and it looks like he's about to push her again. And she's just like, fine. She's just like, take it, push me. Like, I don't care. But he he takes the money, he takes the money and runs. Yeah. No, and, and the filmmaking is impeccable here too, because like we, we uh, there's been this montage of them falling in love and it's been like this really kind of ephemeral kind of thing that you're experiencing. Yeah. But as, as she sits down with a dowry with him after she's said goodbye to Wanda, there's like these, these shots start to linger and you start to kind of see Oscar kind of being more menacing and unsettled mm-hmm. in a certain way. So this kind of thing in the back of your hair is on the back of your neck start to stand up as you realize like something's not quite right. What's yeah. he hiding? What's he, what's he going to do? Surely he can't push her into the water again. <laughs> but of course <laughs> the symmetry, we have to do that. Um, and I think also even comparing the very beginning to the very end with how 
Fellini plays so much of the actual kind of mode before and close-ups that you get like these inserts of like just Oscar's eyes or just uh, Cabrina's eyes. And just like, just the environment getting more claustrophobic where at the very beginning it's shot pretty wide. And like, you see her like yeah. getting just kind of, it's, it's the old thing of like you play comedy and wide and dra- drama and then close-ups. And so yeah. it's just the textbook definition of that. Um, and yeah. then you, yeah, and then you sort of, you realize, like, you see, like, oh, like, they're walking through, like, the same, fo- or, like, a forest that looks similar to that first one that we saw at the beginning. So, yeah, so you're, you start, your mind starts to put together, it's like, oh, wait, I've seen this before, oh, shit, like, it's a thing where, like, you're surprised at what happens, but you're like, oh, it's it's setting you up to realize, oh, shit, this is about to happen, um, but, yeah, he, he, she, he doesn't push her, he takes the money and runs, um, She's left distraught. She's left distraught, and then, but then this sort of just parades, just sort of emerges around her of, of musicians mm-hmm. and just like uh, fellow working class people, and there's just this moment where she realizes, like, I'm I'm not alone. Like there is life around me, even if it isn't love in the way that, like, I've been told. There is still life and love around me in this form. And she looks right at the camera as if, hey, viewer, we're going to be okay, I promise. Um, and she's got this, like, little, like, clown tear, like, on her face as well. Like, from her from her mascara, I suppose. But it's like, it's like a perfect, like, tear shape on her cheek. Um, charming. Charming is all heck ending. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's I don't know, Knights of Cabiria. Watch it. Like it's it's great. It's a yeah, good, good movie. movie. It's it was stunning. And honestly, I found it like a real really good medicine for right now. And I and I mean I, I mean I kind of formation to that or like alluded to this earlier. I'm not a huge, huge Fellini fan, but like um of all the Fellini films I watched, this was hands down my favorite. And I found yeah. especially in this moment coming out of the pandemic and kind of feeling so down and depressed in different states of the last year. Um kind of being able to see a character look around her and find hope in others and then and <laughs> with this idea of communal good that hopefully exists um if i can be so naive um was really uh, was uh again uh endearing to the character but also hopeful for hopefully uh hopefully real, real life could be that way <laughs> well maybe. maybe yeah who yeah. knows with well. as well <laughs> not just soaps well it's funny because maybe someone looked at this movie, Knights of Kiberia, and they said, there's got to be something better than this. <laughs> and <laughs> lo... <laughs> Brian is very disappointed in that segue. Low-hanging. <laughs> Low-hanging when they're there. Uh, sweet Charity, uh, a musical adaptation of Knights of Kiberia, um, which is... Uh, bananas when you really think about it at the end of the day you're just like this this is a musical and it's you know so okay there are so many levels to this first off as you alluded to connor yes we've brought you on for yet another neil simon musical adaptation and yet another example of hey I don't think Neil Simon's very good at writing books for musicals. Sorry, I just don't think he is. That's my take. Yeah, and no, I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> there, there's some funny jokes. He's, he's a talented joke writer, but I, as far as the whole thing, even as uh, Philistine, I'm going to say uh, no good, very bad. <laughs> but, like, and it's... 
I would because here's what I think. Like as a musical, I actually kind of like I like this show. I think there's like it's it's a good show. Yeah. But like as an adaptation of Knights of Kiberia, it is kind of like the fear of like what people think is going to happen to a movie being adapted into a musical. Because it's like it is this like. Like, again, this, like, Italian neorealism thing adapted into a grand piece of American musical theatre, and it's just such a different, like, literally, and, and, like, theoretically, such a different language. Like, if they are such, they're obviously, like, derived from the same place, but they are such different texts, yes. and I think they are both great in their own right, but sort of just, like, the path from one to the other is ridiculous, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bran, sorry, Connor, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and I think it's, like, it's it, well within a relatively quick time. I mean, the, the musical was 66, and then the film, uh, possibly Oh yeah, the movie. Yeah, the the, movie, the the film was sixty seven. Yeah. The musical was sixty six, and then the movie was sixty nine, um, which is kind of as like the whole new Hollywood wave was was uh, budding in, in America. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. But um, sure. But yeah, it's a huge kind of like I don't know culture shift, um, not only from Italy to America, but also within America. I think there is. I think there is some interesting from the they get from the direction. I, I've honestly, like you said, I think this is a good show. I think kind of in spite of its writing, uh, or the movie's good in spite of its writing, because there's some like interesting direction and some great performance stuff that's happening that I think comments on times have changed um, around the late late 60s, early 70s. And for what it's worth, uh, the screenplay for the for the movie of Sweet Charity is an adaptation of Neil Simon's book by Peter Stone. So. Uh, a different author, and I actually prefer Peter Stone as a book writer. Uh, he's also written the books for musicals like Titanic uh, and 1776, right? I think he wrote 1776. Uh, I'd be very mad if I'm wrong about that, but uh, either way. So, yeah, I think the movie actually has a little bit of a better structure than the stage show, uh, but we, we can get into that when we get into that. Um, Bran, you you seemed very disappointed in me. Uh, when not disappointed, you were surprised that I hadn't that I hadn't seen go. this before. Um, yeah, I don't know this. This I actually did this show in college. Who I were you, Vittorio Vidal, in oh. college? <laughs> Great, um, of course. And I think I I think that was my first exposure to the movie. But it just seemed I don't know. It seems like one of the big like I don't know ten classics of that sort of golden era from the mid fifties on through the late seventies. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Especially in the choreo and the Bob Fosse being such an, like, especially this show being such iconic choreography. Um, it's good. Yeah. It's a good show. It, it, it is. It's a weird adaptation. It's a weird musical, which is kind of one of the reasons I like it because it's also episodic and right. like, doesn't really have a, the morals like, I don't know. Better luck next time is pretty much the moral of the show. Yeah, and I do, and I will say, like, I and we'll actually we'll get into that with the movie in a second, with the movie of Sweet Charity in a second, because um, they try to they try to give it a happy ending. Actually, I'll just yeah. So I do respect that they essentially stuck with the ending of Knights of Kiberia, where they don't like try and make some happy ending with Oscar. Um, the movie they so the movie of Sweet Charity. I'll just say, uh, Fosse like, kind of presumed that they were going to want a happy ending. So they filmed the ending they wanted, and then they filmed a happy ending, and the producers were like, no, 
actually we like the end, the actual ending that you made. So there is like an alternate version that has a happy ending with Charity and Oscar ending up together, but that sucks. Fuck that. Uh, but no. even more than Knights of Kiberia, because in the musical, correct me if I'm wrong, she doesn't lose her dowry at the end, though, and that's no. sort of what's changed is like, Okay, yeah, this didn't work out again, but the one step better is that this time I held on to my money. Yes, well, and then I'll get to that. I'll get to there's a whole big thematic thing I want to talk about uh, in a second, but uh, Bob, so Bob Fosse conceived of this musical as a vehicle for his wife, Gwen Verdon. Um, Gwen Verdon starred as Charity, Um, she did not star in the film. Uh, I th- they think they wanted sort of more of a star, so they got Shirley MacLaine from The Apartment, another link to you, our friend Connor Allen Smith. Um, but Gwen Verdon uh, famously sort of like ghost choreographed a lot of the film and sort of like was a sort of the right hands to Fosse as they were making this thing. Like she still had her hand in the film. The film was also famously a flop. Um, did not do well. Critics hated it at the time. Uh, or mixed, rather, they did not like it a lot at the time. Um, but I think sort of as the years have gone on, it's sort of gone up uh, in the in the mind's eye of, of culture. Um, it's a lot. I get it. The movie's very long. Um, oh, I'm sure, Connor, you well, can... It's uh, so strange, yeah. No, was, which is also, I think, why maybe it's decisive. Like, oh, like even it's like... The, um, from purely an image perspective like taking away everything else like there's some really pretty experimental images in this film whether it's oh, like when yeah. they go to church with and it's like just the, the tail lights that are exposed and you <laughs> we'll talk about the church in a second <laughs> the church they visit yes yeah um but yeah it's like a pretty experimental interesting visually interesting film um but yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen it either, and I I, I didn't really know about, about the, this adaptation or or the source material. Um, but but in, in my and your defense, like it's also before this Kino uh, Lorber uh, uh, print, it's been hard to track down. Like it's not streaming anywhere, uh, which is why I went yeah. to your house last night. I mean, I tried. There's one <laughs> link on YouTube which I talked to you about last night. You can it's it is up on YouTube, but it's picture within a picture, so that way the bots don't catch it. And sure. you also have to play it at 0.75 because it's also sped up a little bit oh my god so it's the way fossey intended it to be watched but that's the only really (laughs) the way that's the only the way to watch it uh, unless you do have this access to uh ben k's blu-rays or or money to buy a blu-ray um the other so yeah like i said before this is uh another neil simon joint uh this was two years before promises promises um that, but the songs, of course, are music. Uh, the lyrics are by Dorothy Fields, um, and I love her lyrics. They're so quippy and fun and memorable. I mean, like, obviously, the two biggest songs from this are Big Spender. Hey, Big Spender, spend a little time with me. Uh, and if if my friends could see me now, if they could see me now. Uh, it's a, you know, you know, you know him and love him, and I love her lyrics. They're so good. Uh, she also wrote a musical called Redhead, which won the Tony Award for Best Musical in 1959. Uh, And she also uh, co-wrote the book for Annie Get Your Gun. And she also wrote a musical called Seesaw, which is also with uh, the composer of this show, Cy Coleman. Uh, Cy Coleman is a wild composer who has written stuff for decades he's no longer with us but his 
like his theatrical credits are bananas. So like he wrote Little Me, uh, which he also wrote with Neil Simon. He wrote this. Uh, he writes On the 20th Century. He writes Barnum, City of Angels, The Will Rogers Follies, um, The Life, which is a musical that is actually explicitly about sex workers, unlike this one. But his music is just like, it's this beautiful mix of like jazz and pop and just like what sort of um, mu- quote unquote musical theater. Like, I love his music so much. It's so catchy. It's, yeah. uh, there, there's got to be something better than this, which is the song that I am now obsessed with. I like, <laughs> like, so, like that song Very good. and that sequence and just, the, it's just such, I think it's my favorite song in the show. I think it is like yeah. me. I, it is just like, it is, it is, uh, her friends. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Nikki and, uh, what is, uh, what is her name? Helena? Thelma? Yeah, uh, no, Helen, 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 uh, uh, who are played in the in the movie of it by Cheetah Rivera and Paula Kelly, um, and they're all three of them. Uh, it's it's their song of yearning, right? It's their like I uh, gotta. It's their Skid Row, if you will. Their I gotta get sure. out of here. Um, <laughs> and it's just got such a propulsive beat to it. Um, and it's just marvelous. It's marvelous. Um, but yeah, so they wrote this show. Um, Sweet Charity, and let's talk about, I think, sort of one of the biggest things to talk about is sort of the, the de-sexing of the show, if you will, so, like, yeah, it's so fascinating, so, Charity Hope Valentine, who is our main, who is our protagonist, uh, Kabiria is now, yeah, not, she ain't no Charity, she's, she wants, I don't know, she's Charity, she's Charity. Um, she's which I also think is like a, a, a very interesting kind of like I think that's part I, maybe that's a joke from Neil Simon like of like <laughs> sure. of like dancers names but like Kabiri is such an interesting name because even though I could have pronounced it earlier I looked up what it meant maybe thinking of like oh is there like some sort of translation to charity yeah. or something but it means the great um, and to go from sure. a character name to the great to a character name is Cherry what was the full name um, charity, charity hope valentine <laughs> that's that's categorically a different person <laughs> <laughs> it's true i mean and she is and so she is no longer a sex worker she's no longer a prostitute she is a a taxi dancer or a dancer for hire so this was a thing that i did like minimal research on but i was just like i want to know what this is um it's a private it, dancer a yeah. dancer for money yeah it's like you go to a, a dance hall and in this case, you pay six twenty-five, uh, six or six fifty, to dance with a girl for half an hour, and maybe some more stuff can happen from there. But you you pay them to dance with you, and that's it. And it's like so funny because I feel like Big Spender is like so explicitly like, yes, hey, we all the bada. It's and it's got like that fucking ba. I feel like that is like so like it's like a fucking Tex Avery cartoon like idea <laughs> of like Auga. yeah it's yeah, like, like a fucking eyeballs yeah. shooting out of your head <laughs> yeah like it's just like but then it's just like so funny because like like yes sex is almost like an implication like it's mm-hmm. not like an explicit like part of like their job right but then it's clear that some of them do that as well yeah. because she says she's like I didn't do that I just dance later I sure. think she says it to Oscar I think so yeah, yeah. 
trying to convince him to stay with her. And she's like, I never did that. I just Right, but so it's so interesting. It's interesting because, yeah, like, so it is very well, bizarre. It's, 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 it's yeah, making it's like, her judgmental as sex as well as yeah, a character. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I wouldn't do that. No. Yeah. Well, well, even also in the way she's, like, looking for mobility and, and without uh, in Sweet Charity compared to Kabiria. Um, like, the way she, like, she's almost, like, disgusted with her line of work, even just being a hostess and, like, some of her yeah. co-workers. Like, she's mm-hmm. outward, not, like, not only, like, trying to, like, improve her life, but, like, trying to, like, leave that job as fast as possible. Um, that she seems to, like, have friends at. She's been there for eight years. It, they don't seem like it. I'm sure like any workplace is difficult, but like, it doesn't seem like it's a bad place for her. And she's like outwardly uh, and aggressively wanting to eject as fast as possible. Yeah. In a, in a well, very so, again, but it's, but it's so interesting. Way. So they, they take out sort of the explicit sexual part of her occupation. Yeah. But then what's interesting is that sort of the crux of the ending of why Oscar leaves her is because he's a fucking prude. Like, that's, like, it's like, you take away that, but then you sort of add in this sort of sexual reasoning for why it's, yeah, again, it's not a money thing like it is in Kiberia. It's like, oh, you've, you've been with too many men and I, I can't do that. So it, that, I found that really fascinating and yeah, sort of like. I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it felt it was along with the Americanization of it, though. <laughs> ain't I mean, that, like, come ain't on. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Even well, if not yeah. intentionally. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think there's like, there's potentially like an interesting commentary it could have if it was painting Oscar more as a villain yeah. or like, or yeah. if she was like less of like, um, Neil Again. is not doing that work. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. It's no. just like an inherent, yeah. like, puritan- puritanical, like, reactionary reading of this original source material i think yeah absolutely 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 that and also not only does it make it like a less uh like satisfying politically thing but also just like story-wise it's less satisfying like it's just yeah it's just like lowers the stakes it flattens it out a lot like examples adaptations always do so just gotta gotta (laughs) gotta flatten that cinematic pancake don't gotta flatten that earth (laughs) okay uh (laughs) <laughs> but but like it's and again sort of uh Connor, you you sort of called this like an episodic musical and i would say act 1 is an episodic musical but then yeah. act 2 it it becomes like the charity oscar story like mm-hmm. it's sort of like it that like they sort of elongate that into After, the second act of course maybe the second or third best song in the show which is <laughs> rhythm of life we got okay we gotta. This is gonna be about forty-five minutes right we here. We gotta yeah. talk about the rhythm of life. So, in such a good song, do we in, know? Uh, give me, give me context for this because I, I came into this. <laughs> I, I, I did, I did watch this before I read this in the script, and so I was just like, "What the fuck is happening here?" So, Especially with the the movie character of Oscar being such a pill. I'm like, why is he in this spot? Well, so, first of all, fun fact, Connor. So John McMartin, who played Oscar in the film, also played that role on Broadway. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Um, John McMartin, he was also in the original production of Follies as Benjamin Stone. Uh, great. He's, he's great. I think, uh, yeah, he's great. Um, so, and of course, so yeah, Rhythm of Life, and in the film version of Sweet Charity, uh, Daddy, who's the, the lead, uh, ch- like, the leader of this Central church. Central cult figure, yeah. Yes, is of course... Sammy Davis Jr.-esque. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, he, he is very Sammy Davis Jr.-esque, so of course, in the film, he's played by Sammy Davis Jr., the original choice for Beetlejuice, as we remember. <laughs> oh my um, god. 
he, I mean, he's great in the film, gotta say. Um, yeah. But, like, it's, again, like, in this musical, it's, like, it's fun, and it's weird, and it works great, and it's just an absolute bop of a song and a bop of a sequence. But when you think about, like, the adaptation, it's like, because, right, this is the analog of the church pilgrimage like this is the analog of her like oh i mean maybe it is i don't know i'm just like that is the only church thing that happens in knights of kiberia so it's like did yeah. they take that and turn that into rhythm of life you're I mean, absolutely <laughs> right you have to be right and I, I, it was so, so it's like such a 180 i could not even process that in my brain it's like but yeah that has to be the analog um which is it so is, weird. Is yeah, so I mean, weird. but it's not that weird for. I mean, when did this musical come yeah, out? Yeah, no, you're absolutely 66. right. The late, the late sixties. So it makes yeah. so, so of it's course not it makes like sense. Weird road church, like groups of hippies driving in their cars everywhere, and they're like super decorated cars that are like having cults that like you know eventually result in things like the Manson family and Jim Jones but yeah. you know well, at again, this point was still just Sammy Davis Jr. And again <laughs> and it's so funny because yeah it's like oh it's just like radical church but then they're like we don't like weed you gotta respect your parents it's like yeah. it's like yeah. such a fucking like knock of a cult oh, like yeah. Jesus uh, which is very but again yeah it's a great sequence but yeah like it is it makes sense like historically and dramaturgically that it would like that would be the analog but like thematically i don't know like it, it doesn't yeah. serve the same purpose for kiberia no. well, oh, well, for charity i guess an oscar is such a pill like it seems he sticks out <laughs> so uh staunchly against well, like but especially doesn't he say film. he's he has a like cult of the month club Ch or Ch something Ch that church of the month church of the month club he belongs to freudian slip on your end brand but sure. yeah it's uh, yeah it's a church of the month club which is again neil simon he's a funny writer i, I don't think he's one for adaptation and structure in this sense but he is a funny writer if nothing else yeah, parts of it seem so like laughing or something, especially like when they're at the, um, oh, what do they call the the dinner where she goes to dinner with Vittorio and and Charity? Oh, yeah, the it's fucking Piccadilly in in um, yes. Nights yeah. of Kiberia, but whatever it is, the uh, the, 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 the club they go the to. The sequence is called the Rich Man's Frug. The Rich Man's yes. Frug, yeah, the Frug, whatever, yeah. Um, but like, there's all those. There'll be like a little, and then there's a little one-liner that she says in the musical, yeah. and then they'll, and then she'll have another one-liner where she like puts down the giant menu and says like for two or something. Yeah. You know, well, goofy. I mean, remember Neil Simon was a writer on Sid Caesar's show of shows, so he is literally go. coming from a sketch comedy variety show background. So that's big menu. Big What's funnier than a giant yeah. menu? We, look, or, I, don't, yeah. I love giant props. They're great. <laughs> I do too. And I, and I do like the game they play later on when Oscar and uh, Charity are kind of like trying to talk emotionally and they can't look at each other. Yes. And, that, yeah, and that's, they sit the booths back yes, to each other. Yeah, yeah. Booths back. I, I did like that game. It's it's pretty that's cute. And you see a you see a coven, but it's effective. <laughs> no, it is yeah. like it is. I would say that it is an effective musical comedy, like mm -hmm. hands down. I'm just like I'm obviously just for the sake of this podcast, looking at it through the frame of a Knights of Kiberia adaptation, yes. and it is frankly ridiculous. Um, yeah. <laughs> like like through that lens, it is ridiculous. Through any other lens, it is a very enjoyable piece of musical comedy. Like no question about it. Um, yeah. but, but I, I will, I will say 
the act break is so weird. Like the they they have the song "I'm the bravest individual," which is just like a complete nothing burger of a number. It just happens uh, that they I'm the bravest individual. It's it's whatever it happens. In the elevator. That's yes, right. in the elevator. Yes. And then it's just like the lights go out and they're like, "Help! Help!" And it's like the intermission. <laughs> they're like, "Okay, great. Yeah, All right, see you later." <laughs> it's a very, it's literally, uh, yeah, fridging them for uh, the intermission or like putting them away. Like they'll, they'll be here. Don't worry. There's, yeah, there's no resolution. No. Well, and it's like two sequences where she gets locked in a closet-sized thing, yeah. back to back, pretty much. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, also, I skipped over it. So, yeah, so uh, the Italian actor in this is uh, Vittorio Vidal, who Bran uh, played in college, in college, high school. <laughs> college i bet you were great i bet you were very fun (laughs) i I think my performance was probably awful but i sang the shit out of the song and that's really all anybody wanted yeah i get too many tomorrows which is a fine enough song yeah it's pretty boring like they (laughs) cut it for the film with good for good reason also ricardo montalban i don't know if he's a singer or not I, I I can't imagine he. Is. You know he was he was looking good though. You know yep. he held oh that screen. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. And, and yeah. So yeah. Same. The same sequence happens essentially in the in the in the stage show where uh, she goes home. Charity goes home with Vittorio. Um. Mm. And yeah, he gives her these props that she's able to use in her number. If my friends could see me now, she gives her a top hat and a cane. And it's a charming little number. He's a lot nicer to her than Alberto is. Too. Yes. He's like, oh, here's a take this scarf, too, if people won't believe you. And take this this coat of mine and this hat. Yes. Like, I don't need this crap. You've, like, re- reminded me that I can, like, enjoy my time with a woman. Whereas right now, uh, Olga, is that her name? Ursula. Ursula. Ursula, uh, yeah. Uh, However, like Ursula and I just fight all the time and you're like nice to me. So mm-hmm. you make me want to get back with the woman I'm in love with. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I think also it's just part of like the, uh, the Americanization of that character, making him like less of a person and like, it's like, sure. yeah, sure. You've, you've, you've made, it turns him more into a, a construct because I feel like no person that, that met charity off the street would be like, they might hang out and have a good time, but it's so, uh, so unabashed, like showering her in gifts like that. Literally yeah. just to give her the props for her song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and again, and that's so. Yeah, that song uh, was uh, Linda Clifford recorded a disco version of it as a single in 1978. Uh, sure, sure, it's a bop. Um, just double double that song and uh, throw throw some disco into it, and I'm sure it's great. Uh, and same thing with Big Spender. Uh, it was a single released by Shirley Bassey. Uh, a year later in 1967. Um, well, that's, this, I guess maybe that's a good point for me to interject. Because I, I mean, I, again, being a complete neophyte of the musical theater, I grew up with like Big Spender and with uh, my friends can see me now in the house. And actually, so I, when I was listening through the the soundtrack, I texted my mom like uh, yesterday and we don't really text. <laughs> and so it was kind of an odd thing just to reach up. I was like, hey, did we, did we like with Sweet Chariot something like we watched growing up or was this like a, something that like was on? Because I remember specifically like hearing these songs in your voice, like you singing along or something. Mm. Um, and it was like this weird sense of memory I didn't know I had. Um, and she, she basically responded that it wasn't, but uh, <laughs> that she used to go to the theater in Dallas with her with her grandmother, my Mimi. Um, and oh, wow. apparently they would see plays together. And so I think just like, 
for some reason I knew about these songs. I mean, they're, they're cultural. Um, I feel like uh, bedrocks for musical theater. And so like, I'm sure I heard yeah. them in other places too, but like I had a very distinct memory of like hearing big spender in my mom's voice, not to get Freudian or anything. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was like, that was my first uh, thought when I was listening through that, that, cast recording absolutely but it's again this was that still like like on our last promises promises episode this was still the era where songs from musical theater could jump easily into like mainstream like music and pop culture like it was just like if a song if a song connected with the culture then someone would record it yeah so like i think sammy davis jr recorded uh, a version of if my friends could see me now like or, or big spender again it's just like one of those songs that just like took off and i get it they're catchy mm-hmm. i don't know there should be more covers of there's got to be something better than this a better song <laughs> uh, i say i really like baby um, dream your dream too yeah, I think that's a really sweet song. It's it's very yeah. I, I get any song that is sung by uh, Nikki and Helen. <laughs> Those they Here have the best it. songs in the show. That is a great Correct. track, honestly. Um, and yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, you the act ends weird with "I'm the bravest individual." Um, but yeah, like there again, there isn't as much of that episodic. Like you have sort of these like sequences like the Victoria Vidal with the you have just like going back to the dance hall every now and then you have them trapped in the elevator but then yeah once we get into act two it's really I mean obviously you open with the rhythm of life which is as good of a open a first song for your act as as anything I suppose and yeah I guess this was that weird age where like musicals as much didn't have huge like act one finales right that wasn't really yeah. a thing in in the sort of like the the ty- in what musical theater was um so that's sort of it was just like you know that you're gonna have a break here because there's a break here um, we're at an hour we've been we've been here an hour we're gonna take a break yes um Sweet Charity is a nice little song uh right he sings it like they're on the top of a Ferris wheel <laughs> Right? Is that yeah, what they they're stuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she has her panic attack, yeah. Yeah. Again, they fi- they find they find cute little set pieces, but then yeah, it just it becomes this Oscar and uh charity romance, this uh like oh this again, this dangling of hope. Um but and then but then yeah, so you get I'm just looking through the song list. Uh Where Am I Going is a nice sad song, and actually do prefer the film version's placement of it as sort of like her last song, like after Oscar has left her. I actually do kind yeah. of prefer it there, but it's, okay, it's still a nice yeah. little slow, slow ballad for, for charity in the middle of act two. Um, as I, I'm a brass band, also great <laughs> song. Also just a great bop for charity to sing. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the dance, the dancing in that one is so. I mean, the frug is like the highlight, highlight. But yeah. I really love the brass band yeah. choreo also. And then again, like I'm just like structurally, this musical is ridiculous because technically, the last song in this show is "I Love to Cry at Weddings." Like that is the last musical number, which is sung by fucking Herman, the owner of the dance hall. <laughs> he gets the last song in the show. What? Bizarre. <laughs> well, you know, Herman. When, you, when you gotta cry, you gotta cry. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just like they're throwing a party uh, for a charity who's leaving, uh, who's leaving the dance hall. And he likes to cry at weddings. It's so mm. weird. It's such a and strange... He's a character that's not really present throughout the rest of the... I mean, yeah, he's, he's got around. like three lines before yeah. that. He's exactly. played the whole ass final number. He's played by Stubby K. I don't know. He's, he's That's the actor's name? Yeah, the actor's name is name. Stubby K. No relation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they sing and it's listen. It's a it's a fine enough like charm song uh, in, that, in that vernacular. But sure. then like they go to the park and she gets pushed in the. Well, I don't think she gets pushed. She like falls in the lake pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. But again, yeah, like we talked about, it's just like he he can't be with a woman. It's this, yeah, this puritanical thing we spoke about before. It's like, I can't believe the woman who's, like, slept with so many men. She falls in the the water. Um, and then he's like, well, goodbye. And then he leaves. She gets out of the water. You have this, yeah. again, this fucking stupid Neil Simon bit where there's this fairy. And she thinks it's, like, some actual fairy. But it's, like, advertising a TV oh, yeah. show. What a- Somebody in like Central Park, yeah, just roller skating and advertising for a TV Um, show. And then she's just like, well, another day, another day. And then there's a, then there's like, there's this like, uh, device in the stage show of like these like signs that pop up. Like, again, almost like a vaudeville show, just like seeing like, this scene's about this, this scene's about this. Uh, and it ends with a sign that says, and so she lived hopefully ever after. Yeah, yeah, great theme. She has a great theme. She has a lovely little little theme that accompanies Mm -hmm. her at the top and bottom of the show. Um, But again, I prefer in the film version of this stage show where you sort of have the analog where there's like a hippie parade that like gives her a flower after she's fallen. A little butt court (laughs) game. Sure, yes. well, this is before, it's because it's, it's, it's before Harold and Mama ah. back a couple of years. And so he's just like a little tiny baby. Uh, and I, what was, when was uh, Bruce McLeod? Oh. That was 70 yeah, or 71. Yeah, that's a 70s Altman, yeah. So, yeah, so then this is 69. So yeah, he's like, just like, I mean, he's not 12, but he's, he's very young. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I was like, I had to Google to make sure that was him. Uh, yeah, well, but I do like that. Because again, it's like, oh, it's taking this moment from Kiberia and sort of like, adapting it for the american 60s and it's like again this do the same function of instilling hope in this character but nope in the stage show she's just like well uh and that's it um which is fine and whatever again i prefer her not getting together with oscar i think it's a more interesting ending uh it works um sweet charity sweet show uh good show it's it's nice Agreed. it's nice Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think even I think when you and Brian were talking a second ago, like it, uh, what I finally gave me the language of like what the big difference between charity and Kiberia is. And it's like when she's kind of, I guess, um, gets uh, confused by the fairy aspect, it just it makes her less mm. intelligent as a character where Kiberia, like uh, whether you want to call it street smarts or just like just smarts in general, she's a smart character who knows uh, like how to do things. It seems like charity is constantly kind of being either 
bamboozled or overwhelmed or like she doesn't have the same agency that is present yeah. in the source material. Um, and I think that's what's frustrating. Yeah. But also makes a lot of sense for uh, uh, American yeah. cinema. Um, it is what so, it is. If you could see her now, this little Fellini film of mine, it's an American musical. That's still pretty good. Uh, so I don't know. I recommend them both. Find Knights of Kiberia, lovely movie. Find Sweet Charity, very nice musical. I feel, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's not done a lot, Sweet Charity. Yeah. Charity? I don't know. I feel like it's done yeah. less and less for sure. I know that uh, writers did one like <laughs> nine sure. years ago. Unlike, I mean, that's about it in Chicago area. There was the Christina Applegate that was yep. in like the uh, mid 2000s. Yeah. Right? On Broadway. Oh, I yep. think I was yeah, aware Chris- of that. Yeah, Christina Applegate was in a revival, 2005. Um, there was rumored for a while that Britney Spears was going to replace her, um, and and it I never wish. happened. And maybe it's because of her. Uh, maybe, yeah, it or might have been because father. of her evil, fa- evil yeah. father not letting her do it. Um, I bet she would have been great. Hashtag free Britney, y'all. Truly. So too. Um, yes, absolutely. But yeah, I feel like, uh, well, actually, there was an off-Broadway production at the New Group in New York a few years ago, uh, directed by Lee Silverman, starring Sutton Foster, and it was like a minimalist take. It was like 12 actors in like a uh, thrust tiny space, and it was like, let's do like a bare-bones sweet charity. And I think people were like, yeah, this is cool. All right. Let's let's yeah, let's try it. So I don't know. I think people should do this show more. I think there's some fun stuff here and I don't know. But Fossey was onto something. Uh coming up with this thing. Uh I agree. Yeah. Like you said, the music the music is just so great. And like yeah. it is weird enough that I think it helps it be interesting and um Yeah. And I don't know, you could do a lot with it. I, I don't know about like the minimalist production that you're talking about, but I feel like you could do something interesting with it in a storefront space. Absolutely. Um, especially if you could make the, if you could reduce the music in an interesting way and like do it yeah. with a small pit. Um, but I mean, even like just setting it, having, I don't know, somehow do you, can you set it all at the dance hall, you know, and make it feel sure. like everything's just being told as a story yeah. from her. I, I, yeah, really I, cool. I, I think yeah. you're, you're right on the money, Bran. I think there's enough oddness in this show to play with it, um, which we love in a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Closing the book on Sweet Charity, closing the book on Fellini for now. Um but Connor Allen Smith, we've reached the end of this episode of Moving the Musical, and as we always do, we ask our guests a very important question. So, Connor Allen Smith, if you could adapt a movie into a musical that hasn't been adapted already, what would you choose? Well, I'm utterly, utterly uh, unprepared because I was I already answered this last time. And so I thought I was, I was confused if I should start thinking of other things. But I guess before I even give my answer, we need to do some housekeeping. I know you watched McCabe and Mrs. Miller, my, my initial mm-hmm. desire. Uh, Brent, have you had a chance to watch it yet? I have not. Okay, I will give you the Blu-ray. Yeah. And we'll, I'll, we'll Connor, I'll give you some um, time to think on your answer by, by talking about McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh. Um, 
Please do. No, I already have my answer, but I, I do want to hear your. I want to get your. your uh, take so, McKay and Mrs. Miller, but, uh, I fucking so. loved it. I think it's a m- close to a masterpiece of a movie for me. It is so wonderful. Um, Leonard Cohen's songs just paint such a beautiful uh, sonic atmosphere for the thing. Uh, maybe Warren Beatty's best work um, outside of, outside of Ishtar. I think so. Like, I think it is. Like, I, I say that genuinely. <laughs> I think he's very funny in Ishtar, but I think this is his best dramatic performance. Yeah. Um, it's a Julie Christie fucking yeah that monologue he gives yeah that monologue he gives when he's like hyping himself up before he goes out to defend his life where he talks about poetry inside of him is yeah. some of my favorite acting yeah. along with Nights of like it's just it's utterly beautiful yeah. and it's, utterly it's a movie it's a movie um, I just want to live in I just love the entire atmosphere of that movie it is so gorgeous um, Robert Altman uh hot take good at what he does um there you go um but anyway vamping about that so yeah yeah, so i have watched that i love it i still support your musical adaptation idea if it's i think think it it absolutely work yes wonderful all right we'll we'll make that happen then okay so i guess my answer then will be um I'll, I'll go ahead with the most recent movie that I thought was kind of a masterpiece and we'll just go from there. And it's going to be Lucia Martel's The Holy, okay. um, 2005 or 2006. It's all about, uh, it's like semi-autobiographical, I believe, uh, Argentinian film, uh, Lucia Martel's an Argentinian filmmaker behind Sama, um, La Cara, something else that I can't remember a couple other, like, but only three or four films, all really beautiful. And this specifically tells the story of a young uh, woman a young girl kind of learning about her sexuality and kind of um, not kind of being assaulted on the street, but also being intrigued by it. Um, And uh, because the person who assaulted her is staying at the hotel that she lives at. And it's just like, it's very interesting, beautiful film. There's a lot of Catholicism in that film as well. And interesting questions about faith. Um, Yeah. I think it's it's a very small story, a very uh, interesting story that, you know, it's the last thing I saw that really, uh, blew my socks off. Oh so yeah, I, I think we should absolutely get a Lucrecia Martel. Lucretia? Lucretia? I forget how you pronounce her name. We should get one of her films onto the stage. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I've only heard. Wasn't wasn't she the one who was like the head of the jury at the Venice Film Festival that gave Joker the Golden Lion? Wasn't that her? That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds like. Her little style of like kind of trolling. Um, no, um, yeah, yeah, no. She, she, she's a very no, interesting filmmaker in general. Like, from all her what stuff I've heard, is, yeah, that, it seems like it. I, I, I wish I, I wish I knew more about her career. I wish I knew more about her her films to have a say. But I've only heard the best things, and even just from you giving a brief uh, description of that film. Yeah, I I don't know. Like it's it's always so funny when people are like, "Oh, a dramatic musical, it can never be done." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" Like, "Oh, oh, I know." <laughs> There's so many. Like, the longest running one I ever know. is a so, dramatic yeah, I'm, I'm musical. Like, yeah, fucking like and yeah, get like an actual like Argentinian like songwriting team to like write music for it uh and right. to adapt it. Yeah. Like that'd be great. Well, that's the other great thing about Martel is like similar to Altman and maybe this is why I kind of went to it is the way she considers sound. My friend who got me into some of her work uh, recently, um, Andrew Skellig, who has been yeah, yeah, DPing yeah. some of my projects, who then knows. Um, he's a huge fan of hers. Um, and she, similar to Altman, really considers sound and like will actually like record different like in her call sheets, like 
schedule hours just to pick oh, up wow. audio, uh, which is really interesting. And like, not only like weave it in an interesting way, so it's not just straight like um, this. So not also it's like just straightforward dialogue back and forth in, in the film, but create this kind of like kind of musicality and rhythm to her films. Um, but in addition to that, uh, part of Holy Girl takes place like there there's sure. a choir teacher and like there's like actual singing in the film as well so so there's some already some songs and there's some old hymns that uh, could easily be picked up in a uh refurbished, yeah. and refurbished. Uh, holy girl very cool let's do it to the stage uh check it out Connor, let's do it thank you again for being here it means the world you are the best um what do you got this this comes out Next week, uh, what do you got to? Yes, uh, a tight record, but we're making it work. Uh, what do you got to plug? Uh, before you plug whatever your personal thing is, uh, yeah. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the trailer for Saints of Newark uh, oh. that came oh. out since Absolutely. our last meeting. Oh my meeting. gosh! Yes, and I think it's it looks awesome. good. It looks it looks amazing. Looks really good. <laughs> yes, I think uh, we also need to note that we were uh, listening back. I was, um, I hate listening to our episode when it was upon release um, to, to see how I did, see how the whole report came together. And I was surprised to hear that the 45 minute rant that Brandon and I went on about the Sopranos <laughs> was cut from the two and a half hour podcast that we did. And I'm, I'm I don't think gall- we cut all of it, but there was definitely more yeah, yeah, exactly. that was left on the floor. <laughs> so this is, this is, yeah, absolutely. I watched the trailer immediately. Both me and my partner Alexis are so excited. Um, that trailer looks amazing. And I, I love Bernthal. I, I think he's just a fascinating actor too. So I think for, he's a great For context actor. for everyone, this is the trailer for, mm-hmm. is it a prequel? What, what is this? It is a yeah, prequel. It's, a it's prequel. called The Many Saints of Newark, and it's a prequel to the Sopranos television it's, show. But yeah. it's written and directed by David Chase, yeah. who is the like showrunner mm-hmm. and producer, executive producer for the show. And there's and, a little bit of casting with it. Which yeah, really and crazy. It stars uh, the real-life son of James oh, Gandolfini. Wow. Playing the role that James Gandolfini I, originated I, I'm in. I'm actually Soprano, like, so. I'm actually Bizarre. like tearing up hearing. It's like, yeah, this that's actually really lovely. <laughs> It's very cool. And like people that don't know that they're like, wow, he looks so much. How'd they find somebody who looks exactly (laughs) like Tony Soprano? That's crazy. It's like, well, it's his biological child in real life. But uh, but it looks good. The trailer looks okay. I think it looks looks good. Yeah. Well, it's a trailer. So like the trailer's trying to cut it to look like uh, Joker or something. Not really. Like that's an exaggeration, but like it's trying to make it look like, yeah, it's trying to make it look like this action packed Scorsese like oh gritty blah 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 also um what's his name's in it so that the uh Leota's in it so <laughs> that, Leota, that yeah. lends to the Scorsese-ness yes. of it well he was but, also just in uh no sudden oh, moves not yet I need yet, to no, the new, the new Soderbergh oh fantastic that's, that's great to hear yeah that's right that movie looks wild and also probably make it a pretty good musical because oh, it's so contained it's just like oh, a well, Detroit plan, heist movie we're planning to watch it this oh, week yeah. I cannot wait and this Soderbergh is just someone who's just like anything he does i'm there just like in it like i'm such a yes. fascinating filmmaker <laughs> just throwing like, I, everything at the wall so how many, many movies has he made it's I, insane I, uh, almost them, almost 40 this point probably wow yeah 30 or so so which sucks because yeah. i i have whatever wait another time another yeah Logan Logan Lucky would be, a great musical. Would be such a good musical you sucked my arm off oh 
Gosh. Um, but this is, I'm thrilled for the both of you that this Sopranos prequel movie, is it coming out in theaters or what's the deal? Yes, yes. Well, only same in day. Theaters. HBO Max. Yeah. So I think it's same day, HBO and, and theater. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to be yeah. there at the theater, though. Um, I broke the oh, seal yeah. with uh, Army of Dead, and I've been back for Fast Nine, <laughs> and the movies are back. Um, movies are back, baby. It's cliche, but big screen, big movie. Uh, no, movies are back. Hey, agree. No one makes a comeback like the movies. Uh, all right. I let, I let y'all get <laughs> your fucking Sopranos shit out. Uh, Connor. What do you got to? <laughs> Beth as what do well. you got to plug? Uh, yeah. As far as plugging, yes. Um, so this is wait. Is this Lit- coming out literally this a week? Or literally like, next week. We're still in pre-production and fundraising for Happy Birthday, Jimmy. I, I mentioned that last time, so check that out um, if you can. But I think that's about it. And again, I'm part of a podcast called Movie the Musical. A new episode coming out next weekend, <laughs> uh, next week. Uh, and listen to this podcast. Subscribe. Go to the Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Movie the Musical. Give these nice. people three dollars, three dollars a month. <laughs> they deserve it. They work very, very hard. You're listening to this right. If you hear this right now, you know you owe these people at least three dollars. So just give them three dollars a month. That's less than. <laughs> Connor, less than a you're a saint. Um, uh, that's all for now. Keep on singing, uh, Brand. Anything to take us out? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs>